The NCAA has handed out its first penalties for NIL violations, but it's left us with a lot more questions than answers. But have no fear, Amanda Kristovich of Front Office Sports is here to help us set the record straight. Locked On Women's Basketball starts now. Ogumba Wallet for the win! You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. Thanks for making us your first listen every single day. My name is Isabel Rodriguez, and I'm a staff writer over at The Next. Um, Locked On Women's Basketball is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, so be sure to check it out. Today's episode is brought to you by PrizePix. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code LOCKEDON. That's prizepix.com, promo code LOCKEDON. On today's show, it's all coming up Miami women's basketball. We'll talk through exactly what's going on, why the NCAA is upset with them, what the punishment is, if you can even really call it that, and what this means for the NIL landscape and women's basketball and beyond. Amanda Kristovich has been covering this at Front Office Sports, and I'm so excited that she's with us today. Hi, Amanda. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Of course. Thanks for being on here. So last Friday, Miami head coach Katie Meyer gets some pretty interesting news from the NCAA. Flash forward a little bit, and she served a three-game suspension. The Cavender twins are making headlines for dissing the NCAA on basically every social media platform imaginable, and everything has kind of changed for them. So walk us through how we got here. What's going on in Miami to cause such an uproar? Yeah, so... um... Basically, the story starts a little over a year ago um, with, or I guess a little under a year ago, um, when the Cavender twins transferred from Fresno State to Miami. So um, when they were considering transferring, they obviously visited Miami. And um, there's a booster at Miami um, named John Ruiz. He's a very successful businessman, and he has jumped you know, feet first into NIL. Um, he has been funding deals for um, tons of high-profile Miami athletes. He's been extremely generous with them. He's also made a lot of headlines and waves on Twitter for deals that could be perceived as, quote-unquote, against NCAA rules because they could be looked at, even though they're endorsement deals to promote his companies they could be seen as like, quote unquote, sort of like pay for play. There's also been questions around whether or not he's offered deals to athletes before they've decided to go to Miami, which, you know, is considered a recruiting violation. So that's kind of like the general situation, right? So what happened specifically with the Cavender twins was that they went to Miami to visit and head coach Katie Meyer ran into John Ruiz at an event and she spoke with him and um, she quote, sort of facilitated like kind of a meeting between John Ruiz and the Cavender twins, even though she didn't even know it had actually happened until after the fact. Um, the twins went to his house for dinner. He provided them dinner, obviously. Um, according to the NCAA, they didn't even talk about NIL at this dinner. This was literally in the mm-hmm. NCAA report. 
But um, the NCAA came out last week saying that the fact that the co- the head coach of the women's basketball team helped facilitate a meeting between a booster and to prospective athletes, like before they had agreed to go to the school, was a recruiting violation or an NIL, some sort of NIL related violation. And then there was a recruiting inducement violation because Ruiz provided them a free dinner, which I think it's safe to say everyone can assume that one free dinner did not convince the twins to go to Miami. However, (laughs) uh, I will also note that I spoke with them when they made this decision and they made it very clear to me that NIL had quote, nothing to do with their decision because, and I'm sure it did, Right. Like, obviously, it was a factor given that NIL clearly matters to them. But I also think that they're kind of big time enough that they were going to make money no matter where they were going to go. Right. So I think we should. So that's what the violation was. Um, I can, you know, get into um, sort of how all the different parties responded. But I I just want to say that from a bird's eye view, what this looks like is a very high profile set of female athletes and a very high profile booster and a very high profile school who are all top of the list when it comes to who's making the headlines in the NIL landscape, the Mm -hmm. NCAA went after them. The NCAA probably went after them and said, we think that you've, you know, you're using NIL as an inducement, but the NCAA couldn't prove that. So what they did was they combed through and they found any tiny little violation that they could. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's, this is not a story that we haven't heard versions of before in other sports um, and with other teams and other athletes. So I think that's the the piece that people are curious about is, is why Miami, why women's basketball and, and why the Cavender twins in particular. Um, and I mean, you, you noted it before, but um, of all the teams that the NCAA, NCAA kind of oversees, Miami is probably one of the more outspoken teams in terms of, their NIL and how they're using it and how they're empowering athletes to, to, to use their NIL for, for financial gain. Um, so how does that all kind of factor in? And, and, and I guess why Miami in that case? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's because they um, you know, they kind of challenged the NCAA publicly. John Ruiz has been challenging the NCAA publicly. He's been very forthcoming about the deals he's been offering. You know, it's like, I don't want to call it bragging, but in a way that sort of is kind of what was happening and it's very clear. And like my um, legal expert for this story, Dan Lust, um, who works with schools on NIL, he, we were talking about how, you know, to him, it's clear that if you are going to publicize and brag about your deals, you are more likely to get, you know, on the NCAA's radar, right? Because this is like, you have to look at this in the broader landscape of what's happening in college sports. And what's happening in college sports is that every day that goes by, the NCAA is losing power. And it's getting closer and closer to losing even more power from a legal perspective. So they need to choose, like pick and choose their battles. And it's it makes a lot more sense for them to be going after boosters, athletes, schools that are high profile that are basically challenging them on social media than it is for them to go after schools or athletes that are doing deals under the radar, right? Absolutely. Why women's basketball? Obviously, this raised my eyebrows. It's like, really, the first NIL violation is going to be women's basketball. But here's the thing. 
and this is something, you know, some of the folks at other outlets pointed out, so I don't want to take credit for it, but like they were saying, well, maybe the football violations are going to take longer to adjudicate. That's fair. The other thing I want to say, we can get into the Cavender twins response. Um, so maybe I'll let you like, tune me <laughs> off of that. but you know, they're, as much as I am pro like women's sports and pro women's basketball and pro can, you know, criticizing the NCAA for gender equity issues. I, I do think there's a bit of a red herring here in the narrative. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. And we can get into that too. Um, before we do though, I want to talk a little bit more about some of these boosters and what exactly they are and, and what this all means. Um, they're not exactly like the most common thing in the women's basketball space. So maybe it's not a term that everybody's super familiar with. Mm -hmm. So if you could maybe just like a, a quick, like, what's most important to know about a booster and, and how do they benefit college programs? Yeah. So a booster, it's funny because the legal definition of a booster hasn't really been defined, but hmm. <laughs> they have to assume that a booster is someone who is contributing a significant amount of money to an athletic department that is moving the needle, right? Often they're going to be, um, alums of the university, most, you know, traditionally boosters are, you know, sort of the movers and shakers behind football teams or men's basketball teams. Obviously, something that's cool about being in the world of NIL is that major university donors are now interested in um, supporting women's sports as well. So um, someone like John Ruiz is a is not a booster because he provides NIL deals right? Booster is a pre-NIL term. He's a booster because he donates to the school. He donates to the athletic department. And, you know, obviously we don't really know what's going on behind closed doors, but traditionally boosters have some sort of say, um, some sort of um, leverage to hold over coaches, which is, you know, has always been a big controversy, but um, basically just think of them as like high profile donors. Awesome. So, Next up, we're going to get a little bit more into how this relates to some of the other cases that the NCAA, the NCAA is currently facing, um, as well as kind of how Miami can, can deal with the rest of this fallout that's going on. Now I'd like to take a second to tell our listeners all about Prize Picks, which brings you the simplest, fastest, and most exciting daily fantasy sports. So how does it work? Glad you asked. Pick two to six players, and if they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. You're not competing against other people, it's just you versus the projections available. Prize picks offers projections on any sport that you watch, including women's college basketball and the WNBA. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less, and it's that easy. Prize picks offers safe and fast withdrawals and is currently operational in over 30, in over 30 states and Canada. Download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign in and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PrizePix will give you $50. Don't forget to enter promo code LOCKEDON at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Welcome back, everyone. Um, so now we're going to get into a little bit more of the, the bigger picture around all of this. Um, so Miami pretty much admitted to this kind of going down. Um, so their legal options, at least in terms of suing the NCAA, are, are pretty limited, um, so to speak. Um, but the NCAA was also kind of limited here. I mean, it took them pretty long to hand out this and to, to make this decision. So 
I guess I'm just curious to know why did it take the NCAA so long to start kind of doling out punishments here for violations that they've been talking about for for months now? Yeah, well, um, the first answer to that is just that the Committee on Infractions moves at a snail's pace. In fact, a snail <laughs> would be the Committee on Infractions that are in my opinion. Um, the second reason is because they were probably exploring their legal options, right? So there's this big misnomer that the Supreme Court case, the Alston case, um, mm -hmm. was an NIL case. It wasn't. It was literally a coincidence that it, ha it was decided around the time of NIL. Um, the <laughs> only way it relates to NIL is that as an antitrust case, and antitrust for those of you who are not in law school like me, um, <laughs> is essentially the law that governs like capitalism, the free market, the economy, saying you can't price fix, you can't, you know, like there's market value to everything, right? We don't live in a society where you can decide the prices of things unless you're you know, big pharma. Anyway, so <laughs> um, I will. Okay, I need to get less political. So basically, <laughs> basically, um, the NCAA, the the decision put the NCAA on blast for antitrust mm -hmm. and said that if you screw with antitrust in the future, you are not going to be exempt. You are going to have to go through. There's this like whole long test that the right. courts go through, right? So the NCAA took that and said, okay, we can't enforce all these NIL rules because we could get sued because that's mm -hmm. compensation limitations and restrictions, right? What, what Miami is telling us is that they came, they found like sort of a loophole, which was this quote unquote negotiated resolution. Mm -hmm. So Miami... And the NCAA, like the NCAA didn't just hand down these penalties and Miami was like, okay, they got in a room together. It was basically a plea bargain. Mm -hmm. From a legal perspective, what that means is Miami has co-signed this decision. So Miami can't take them to court. The, right. and the parties that technically weren't co-signing, John Ruiz and the Cavender twins, they didn't get punished directly. Mm -hmm. So they have no real... I mean, again, they're looking into it. I'm not a lawyer, but like there isn't much that they could do to take the NCAA to court because the NCAA didn't punish them. Right. So this is going to potentially be what the NCAA does going forward to avoid lawsuits. Hmm. And that's good for them. <laughs> um, but they, I mean, there were a couple of things that they were able to hand down to Miami, a couple of different punishments that they were able to kind of to say like you need to, to deal with this. One of them was the, the three game suspension for head coach Katie Meyer um, and then a couple of other things. But one that I found pretty interesting is that they ultimately didn't ask John Ruiz to kind of cut ties with the program. Why do you think that was and, and why were they kind of hesitant to, to maybe ask him to step away if that's even something they could have asked him to do? <laughs> Yeah, um, they can ask him to do that. They could tell him to do that. They could say that if he doesn't do that, that the school's going to get in trouble, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, from this case specifically, like, he didn't do anything that bad that they found. He didn't <laughs> even talk about NIL during this meeting. Literally, like, the NCAA put that in their report. Like, behind closed doors, there was no conversation about NIL. Mm -hmm. um, and even if there was, like... Technically, that would, I guess, be a violation. But like, 
Mm-hmm. You know, if, if he's just like expressing like, yeah, this is what I, I'm not saying this is what I would offer you, but like explaining like how NIL works for him. This is how he offers deals. This is how much money he offers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if the NCAA is really going to punish that, then that's an issue of transparency, right? Which is the new NCAA mm-hmm. talked about. But um, the real reason they did it is because they know John Ruiz is going to sue them if they screw with him. And he literally like says it on Twitter. He's like, the only reason I'm not suing the NCAA is because this violation doesn't matter to me. <laughs> <laughs> like if they actually like legitimately were like, you cannot do business with Miami athletes, he would sue them. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And I think too, there was one thing that you mentioned before um, that was interesting is that like the NCAA and the last time we talked about NIL violations, we talked about how the NCAA has kind of put some limitations on like the help that some athletes can receive in terms of negotiating these different deals and basically making sure they're not being screwed. <laughs> um, and, and the NCAA has put some limitations on that as it comes to just like transparency and, and athletes understanding what they're getting into. Does this pile on to some of that? Or is that, is that a concerning trend that the NCAA is kind of limiting what athletes can do? Yeah, I mean, so the new president who literally started um, on March 1st, um, Mm -hmm. multiple news outlets that like his number one concern that he was hearing was that there was a lack of transparency around the market value of what athletes can expect in NIL deals, which makes a lot of sense because there isn't a lot of regulation around who can be an NIL agent. Um, Mm -hmm. So they don't know who to trust. And it's a new industry. So the market value is kind of, you know, it's like you could look at social media influencers or whatever. Right. Um, But that's something that he wants to fix. But to your point, um, there are several things that the NCAA is currently doing that are limiting transparency. For example, Mm -hmm. having rules where athletes cannot, you know, negotiate or talk about deals before they sign at a school because like at at any point in this process regardless of how important nil is the Mm -hmm. idea that you're limiting conversations between the people you would be doing business with right just is against transparency right the other Mm -hmm. issue though the ncaa also doesn't want athletes to be employees so they don't want Mm -hmm. athletes to to collectively bargain. And um, one uh, another lawyer that I spoke with, Mitt Winter, noted to me that um, the NCAA has no power to compel athletes or their families or even brands to divulge how much money they're making. So mm-hmm. if you want to talk about a marketplace where people can figure out like how much these deals are actually worth, like they can't force anyone to do that without collective bargaining. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, when when you talk more about the how women's basketball teams have operated in this space in particular, I mean, South Carolina was one that we spoke about before as well, um, and that they've publicly talked about how much they were paying each of their student athletes on their teams. So it seems like it's kind of up to teams to to decide whether they want to be public about that sort of information. Right. I guess, like, what kind of impact does that have when when you leave it up to the teams to decide whether they want to say or not how much is is being passed around? Yeah, well, it's like it's a double edged sword when you're a team because Mm -hmm. it's good for recruiting, particularly when when you can't offer an athlete a deal 
before they agree to come to your school, right? It's good to just have the the news out there, right? So like no one needs to tell the recruit how much money they would make. All they have to do is Google like South Carolina women's basketball NIL and see that these deals have been brokered for all the athletes, right? Mm-hmm. So that's really important for the teams in this landscape. However, the other side to that coin now is that if you brag about it too much and it even smells the tiniest bit funny, the NCAA could look into it. Mm-hmm. So next up, we're going to talk a little bit more about the implications of all this and where the NCAA could look next. Looking for a delicious treat but want to try a healthier option? Then you have to give Bilt Bar a try. What makes Bilt Bars so good? They're all covered in 100% real chocolate and they come in a wide variety of flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and coconut almond. Each bar gets you 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein, all while tasting unbelievably good. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. Or if you're close to a Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box that features a bunch of hit flavors. Give Built Bar a try today. You might just find your new favorite treat. So uh, now we're going to talk a little bit more about about the implications of all this and and where we're going to go next. So just because we talked a little bit about this earlier, the fact that the that Miami was kind of low hanging fruit in terms of of who to go after first. Now that they've kind of handed out this first infraction, does this open the door for for them to go after other teams or does this kind of put up a roadblock, so to speak? They're already investigating other teams Um, like they've theoretically investigated BYU for a deal where all the walk ons got like a specific amount of money on the football team, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, they, they're, they're currently like investigating multiple schools, multiple teams, right? So the question becomes, who are they going to reach a resolution with next? Is there a school that's going to say, screw you, I don't want to do a negotiated resolution, we have nothing to hide. And that process is going to be dragged out for a really long time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a question that I have. Um, I don't think that there are going to be a lot of like women's basketball teams in the future. Like I said, I think this was pretty clearly like, you know, as you said, low hanging fruit. And the one thing I wanted to say about the Kavner twins response is that their whole response, I mean, they basically were like, who cares, which is fair. Mm-hmm. They didn't get punished. Um, right. But their implication was that the NCAA was going after them because they're female athletes with value. And as someone who is really pro criticizing the NCAA for not recognizing the value of female athletes, I don't think that that is a fair or accurate, like that's not what's happening here. And for them, in my personal opinion, to use that um, sort of like, accusation in defending themselves like it's not really about whether or not they did anything wrong but the 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 problem is is that they were you know they signed a deal with a very high, high profile and very controversial booster they've been extremely vocal about the deals that they've signed they're allowed to do that right 
But to say that the NCAA is going after them because the NCAA doesn't want female athletes to make money, like that's a stretch to me. Right. <laughs> I just feel like the women's basketball community, frankly, needs to not fall for that. I'm not saying mm-hmm. they did anything wrong in these violations. That's right. I'm just saying that like that's not what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, I mean, the transparency that we talked about before makes that even more difficult to to find out and to kind of pinpoint. Um, and so in terms of the future of where this is going to go and, and who this is going to affect, I mean, it's it's probably just it's, it's hard to tell exactly where it's going to go, but it might not necessarily go in the direction that the calendars were pointing to. Yeah, I mean, like, there are not a lot of, you know, NCAA wants to go after pay for play, right? So, like, to me, they're all, and they've said they're not going to punish the athletes. So, even if they go after more women's basketball players, they're still not going to, like, revoke their scholarships or something like that. You know what I mean? They're going after boosters. So, mm-hmm. it sucks. Like, we can get into the whole, like, morality of what the NCAA is doing in terms of going after NIL and whatever, but it's like, it's not about the fact that they're women's basketball players or high profile ones at that. It's that the booster that they did business with is really high profile. He's done a bunch of deals that could be considered controversial. And they, they've been really loud about the deals that they've done, particularly since they got to Miami, you know, like I printed their quotes saying that NIL had nothing to do with their decision. Right. But here we are. Yeah, um, but I think, too, I mean, what you point to and the fact that this guy, John Ruiz, is like a, a, a genuine billionaire, like he's not low profile at all. I'm just curious whether you think, too, if they're, if the NCAA is using this as a way to go after him and to go after boosters of that size and that are that outspoken, whether that will discourage other athletes from maybe partnering with these people or maybe trying to, to stay more low profile in terms of who they partner up with. Yeah, I mean, I think that when it comes to these types of deals, like, look, if you're doing a deal with Nike, it's pretty clear, like, you know, that's what that is, right? It's mm-hmm. it's an endorsement deal. It's above board. Unfortunately, a lot of deals with collectives and boosters, you know, and it's not because there's any, you know, nefarious intention. It could literally just be because, like, they didn't have good legal advice, right? So, mm-hmm. um I think that this was also putting out a statement to like individual boosters, right? Because like we, um, I wrote in my, in my analysis about how the NCAA gave athletic departments a way to sort of like wrangle their collectives by giving an opportunity to endorse a collective to say, Hey, um, the athletic director goes to an event and he says, Hey, I want you, the donors to contribute to such and such collective and not, the other one, right? Because if a collective is like doing shady deals, that's frankly a way for the athletic department to get that collective to like not be able to function anymore. But they mm-hmm. don't really have the ability to do that for like individual boosters. Mm-hmm. So this case is saying like, okay, the school got bad publicity. The coach got suspended, right? Mm-hmm. And technically the coach was blamed for right but it's like facilitating all of it right right but even like, though she wasn't necessarily involved <laughs> right 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 exactly so now it's like i think it's like 
all the other big individual boosters around the country are going to be like, okay, well, I don't, I want to help my school. I don't want to get my school in trouble. So I want to make sure that I'm, you know, opening my eyes and crossing my T's mm-hmm. or stepping back until I can figure out, you know, like it, they're trying to make an example of John Ruiz without actually making him in trouble because they know he will sue them. It's a very delicate balance. Situation. Absolutely. I mean, this, yeah, it's been really complicated in terms of figuring out like who's actually at fault here and if there's any, even any fault at all. Um, and so I'm, I'm really grateful that, that you were able to make some time and, and explain all of this and, and kind of go through it with us. Um, and I'm super curious to see where this goes. I mean, we've talked a lot this episode and our last episode, which folks can check out in our podcast feed or wherever you check out Lockdown Women's Basketball. You can listen to that. Um, but we talked a lot about transparency and how important it is and, and how it really makes this marketplace pretty shady in terms of athletes trying to find their way. And this doesn't necessarily help <laughs> that yeah. the NCAA is now going after folks. And the last thing I'll say that I hope will you know happen in the new era of the NCA so long as it still exists frankly is like mm-hmm. I hope that they start going after and it's like they don't have jurisdiction over companies right it's hard mm-hmm. but it's like I hope that they put their resources towards investigating situations where athletes got taken advantage of or didn't Absolutely. get what they were promised rather than trying to find a ticky tack like you were you accepted a meal from a booster during a meeting that we thought was about NIL, but actually it wasn't. So we're just going to punish you for the meal. And st- you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, right. Like frivolous thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like you yeah, like, if I were the Cavender twins, I would have been like, instead of trying to put the whole like gender thing on blast, I would have just said like, yeah, we accepted a dinner and that was like some big crime. Like, come on. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I hope the NCAA puts its resources towards investigating the athletes who aren't getting what they said they were getting because that's a big concern and Mm -hmm. it should protect that's how you protect them absolutely and it's also like the so i write about a lot of international women's basketball and it's always been a topic of conversation that's maybe not spoken about as much but it's something that everybody knows which is that a lot of times it's hard for athletes to even make sure that they're paid for their time overseas um they maybe promise things that they don't get and to see some of that stuff replicated at home is is alarming. It, it is. <laughs> um, and so I think it, I, I completely agree that it's something that the NCAA should be really concerned about, um, especially because for athletes going overseas eventually for, you know, non-football, non-like U.S.-based sports, for athletes who are playing like Olympic sports, it's something that you have to know how to protect yourself. You just, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us today, Amanda. And and I'm so glad that that you were able to hop on and we're happy to have you back literally any time to talk about this. Um, Thank you for having me. And so where can people find you and your work? Yeah. So um, my Twitter is just A and then Kristovich, which is my last name with an extra H. Um, And I am going to be over the next month, like probably not sleeping because it is hard to study. And I am going to the women's final four. Woo-hoo. I am the men's East Regional in New York City where I live. I'm also awesome. going to the men's Big East tournament 
So um, go You'll to You'll be our- everywhere. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be literally everywhere. Um, but go to our website, frontofficesports.com, and just like keep a lookout on the college sports tab because I have a full slate of men's and women's March Madness content planned, and it is going to be awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us, everyone, on Locked on Women's Basketball. We are free and here for you to listen every single day except for Sunday. So be sure to be on the lookout for our next shows, um, especially our women's basketball WNBA draft show, which comes up on Saturdays. So be on the lookout for that as we approach the WNBA draft, which is so much closer than I was ready for it to be when I looked at the calendar. So keep an eye out for that. Thanks for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen today. Now make your second listen game to game NBA. Every moment, every top performance, every result. Locked On Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Follow Game to Game on NBA on Locked On NBA. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts.